I also want to pray again together for our nation. And uh, it just seems that the, the actions of a few have really rocked us this week. And they've let us know that there are some issues in our nation that are not just about individuals, but about our culture. And uh, Lord, we've got, we've got more listening to do. We've got more learning to do. And sometimes we, it's been easy for us to brush it under the rug. So Lord, we ask you, help us to be good listeners. Help us to be the kind of nation where we care about the experience of others. And uh, Lord, I thank you. Thank you so much that this has rocked us. It isn't something that we just say, oh, well, this is life as usual. Lord, it does matter. And Lord, we pray that you'll, you'll, even from these tragic events, you will find a way to bring good out of it, to inspire us to, to be better, to call on you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said at the beginning of the service, it has, it's been a hard week for our country. Um, we had three different incidents with shootings. One uh, with, with an officer uh, each time killing, uh, in this case, a young black man. And then the third incident, we had a young black man killing five officers. And it makes us realize that you know, there's a lot more going on than we may be aware of, that there's more racial stereotyping, that there's racial fear uh, happening. And, and this kind of violence, though, also raises some questions about our faith. I mean, what kind of God would let this happen? You know, sometimes you may feel, find yourself just wanting to shake your fist in the air and say, what kind of God are you? And if you do, then I want to say you're not the only one. Let me tell you about a guy. Uh, he's, he's a friend to the friendless. He's, he, if anybody's in need, he's the first one to help. Everybody loves him. Everybody respects him. Uh, and then in his life, I mean, just things just tanked. His, his children were killed in a terrible storm. He goes from riches to rags. He goes from an active, healthy life to a life of isolation and pain. And so as far as he's concerned, man, this is just, this is it. Life is done. It's over. It's ruined. And, and he even gets so far as he, he starts accusing God. And he says, you have become cruel toward me. You know who said that? There's a guy in the Bible named Job, yeah. So if you've ever accused God of being cruel, at least you're in good company, right? But when you read the entire book of Job, you realize that Job doesn't know the whole story. He thinks that God's to blame for the death of his children. He figures that it's God's fault that he's lost his health and wealth. And only later does Job learn that God is not cruel. You know, once in a while I hear somebody say that it feels like God is punishing them. You ever hear that from somebody? Oh, like God's really mad at me. He's punishing me for something I did. A, a woman's diagnosed with cancer and she worries that maybe God is punishing her because of her divorce. Or a man loses his job and he wonders, well, maybe God's mad at me because of the way I, I, hateful way I treated my brother. 
You know, we humans are wired so that we're always looking for cause and effect, right? We, we, uh, we're always looking to try to connect the dots even when they're not meant to be connected. And, and it's easy to say, well, you know, if God's in charge of the universe, then everything that happens, it's got to be from God, right? And I say, not really. Not everything that happens is from God. What do you think of that? Not everything that happens is from God. Now, I do believe a lot about God. God, I believe that God is orchestrating people and events according to his purposes all the time, probably more than we know. God is orchestrating things. I believe that one day God is going to bring his creation to its glorious magnificence just as he promised. And I believe that sometimes we do experience a kind of punishment uh, for our sins because, you know, just in life, we face the consequences for our actions. I mean, the Bible says, you reap what you sow, right? I mean, it happens. We've, we've all experienced it. But I do not believe that everything that happens is from God. The message that we get from Scripture is that, you know, despite how unfair life can be sometimes to us, God is good. Despite uh, how some people may treat us really harshly, abusively, God is still good. You know, I, I've tried to remember back, when did I first learn this? And I, I think it was when I was a tiny little toddler. You know, bef before we could, you know, my parents taught me a little table grace. And we, I remember, you know, growing up, we, we said it and we always had to learn it. And we always had to fold our hands and close our eyes. And we say, God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food, amen. And we learned to say it pretty fast, just like your kids, right? And so I probably heard this since I was two years old. God is good. Now, during this three-week series, we have a theme verse, which is Psalm 103, verse 8. You can see it on there on the screen. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to say it with me, shall we? The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Now, how many of you think you could memorize this verse over the next few weeks? Well, I think all of you could, right? I mean, it's only 12 words long, and so I'm going to invite you to take an index card, would you, from the pew rack in front of you. There's a whole bunch of cards, and just copy this down. We'll leave it up there for a few minutes, and uh, take it home with you. You can have it with you. Uh, you know, look it over. Some of you are taking pictures of it. That's an easier way to do it. That's perfect, yeah. And anyway, uh, now I want you to know that this is not the only time that these words appear in the Bible. I mean, they actually come up several times in the Psalms, but when uh, the people of Israel are at Mount Sinai, and uh, Moses, you know, he goes up to the mountain to meet with God, and, and then the people down below, they get all worried because Moses hadn't come back, and they're not sure he's going to. And so they give all their gold earrings to Moses' brother Aaron, and then he fashions a golden calf out of it the, for them to worship. 
So Moses comes down uh, from the mountain and he's carrying the Ten Commandments, you know, on, the, on those tablets uh, like we remember in the movie. And, and then he sees the golden calf and everybody worshiping and, and they're all acting wildly. And so he gets mad and he, he throws down the tablets at the foot of the mountain and they all crush the little bits. And then Moses, he takes that golden calf and he puts it in the fire and then he takes that, all the ash and he grinds it down into powder and he casts that powder onto the water and he makes the people drink the water ew right and I, and I think I think he figures that by the time the gold gets through their system they won't be tempted to make another calf out of it right then in an act that seems barbarous to us but not to them 3,000 probably ringleaders in the idolatry 3,000 men are executed now, since this is not God's normal way of dealing with idol worshipers, I expect that these executions had a lot to do with the violent, vengeful ways of the people. Or as Jesus would later say, their hardness of heart. So, Moses goes back up the mountain for another copy of the Ten Commandments, and there Moses learns something about God. God speaks to him. And says who he is. He says, I am Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, you fast forward several centuries, Nehemiah leads the defeated people of Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls, and they have a big ceremony, and Nehemiah recounts their national history, uh, including the time that their ancestors worshipped the golden calf. And then Nehemiah prays, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. There's another time. Uh, God calls Jonah to take his message to the wicked city of Nineveh. Remember about that? Remember about Jonah? Jonah doesn't want to go. He gets on board a ship going in the opposite direction. God sends a storm. Uh, Jonah tells his shipmates to toss him overboard, and Jonah gets uh, swallowed by a giant fish. And in a semi-resurrection experience, three days later, Jonah's vomited onto shore realizing that he's no match for God, Jonah decides to go to Nineveh. He proclaims God's message that in 40 days this wicked city will be conquered. And then something strange happens. The people repent of their wicked ways. They call upon the Lord. And then what happens? The Lord decides not to let Nineveh be conquered after all. And that makes Jonah furious because he doesn't like the Ninevites. He hates them. He says, isn't this what I said, Lord? <laughs> I knew you were going to do this. He says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, even to my enemies. Please open your Bible, would you, to Psalm 103. Uh, You've got a pew Bible in in front of you, uh, it's on page 598. Now, uh, yesterday I read this psalm out loud. And it took me two and a half minutes. 
I've decided that I'm going to read this psalm out loud every day this week. And I would invite you to do the same. Now, since it only takes two and a half minutes, you could read it almost any time. I mean, you could read it while you're stopped in traffic, right, waiting. You could read it. uh, You could mute your TV during a commercial break and read it. You could read it while your leftovers are warming up in the microwave. You could you could read it at the dinner table with your family. And I would recommend, don't just read it, worship with it. I mean, that's what it, was, that's what it was made for. And you'll be surprised what two and a half minutes a day can do. Now, the first five, we're going to keep your Bible open because we're going to walk through some of these verses. And the first five verse, verses are... Uh, kind of David's testimony, and he begins with, with telling himself to praise the Lord. So let's read the first two verses together, shall we? Verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And verse 3, by the way, that we're about to look at has always bothered me. And it's okay to say that things you read in the Bible bother you. This verse has always bothered me. Uh, Where it starts listing all of those benefits, uh, it starts out about the Lord who forgives all your sins. Well, that's okay. But then this next part, and heals all your diseases. And I'll tell you why I have a problem with it. Many years ago, there was an older gentleman that I visited in the hospital, and uh, he was uh, he he had a he had a big long gray beard. I mean, it was it was good size. It wasn't quite Duck Dynasty worthy, but you know, it was it was a good long gray beard. And uh, he was a man of faith, and he quoted this verse to me when I went to visit him in the hospital. He says, "God heals all your diseases." And he was convinced that this was God's promise that he would be healed from this disease and any other disease he would ever get. Now, I don't believe that verse 3 is promising that. It doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture. It doesn't square with our lives. Uh, I see it as David's personal testimony. He can say that so far in his life, whenever he's gotten sick, he's eventually gotten better. So he says, praise the Lord. And in verse 4, he continues that thought. He says, who redeems your life from the pit. Now, eventually David died, but, but on the, at this point, he, he's saying, yeah, praise the Lord. I'm still above ground. <laughs> redeems your life from the pit. All those times he said, I could have gotten, I mean, all those times I got sick, I, I recovered. And then in the second part of verse 4, he he says, and he's still talking to himself, remember, he says, and crowns you with love and compassion. Kind of like I told the kids, remember? That that God puts on him this crown of God's love and compassion. He wears it every day. So I want you to imagine just like the kids. All day today, if you can, think about it. Bring your mind back to it that, uh, all right, I'm wearing a crown. God has, has 
given this, has crowned me with his love and his compassion. And I was thinking, you know, what would it be like to do that? To go through the whole day just, just realizing that God's love and compassion rest on you. Now today, we're going to look at compassion, the compassion of the Lord. What does compassion mean? Now, in the original Old Testament, it's in the language of Hebrew, and in the Hebrew, uh, compassion is a yearning kind of thing. It's deeply felt. You know, it's, 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 it goes really deep in your life. It's even related, the, the word compassion in Hebrew is related to the word for the womb. Isn't that something? So something that is deeply felt. Compassion means, and here's, here's my take on it from, from what the scripture teaches. God feels what we feel. He understands our weakness. He is eager to show mercy. You know, for my wife, Trish, uh, one of her strengths is uh, empathy. How many of you would be strong in empathy? Maybe you've taken the strengths finder and empathy. Yeah, a number of you say that that's a, a strength for you. And so uh, she is tuned in to what people are feeling. Me, not so much. <laughs> but, uh, but she is. And so over and over in our marriage, uh, you know, she's, she's kind of stopped me and she goes, are you okay? Is something bothering you? And I'm going, no, I'm fine. Nothing bothering me. And so, uh, you know, I'm actually I'm a little annoyed by it, but you know, it's all right. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I think, uh, but after about a half a day, I think about it and I realize, you know, I think I am, I think something is bothering me, but I didn't realize it. Um, so, so actually in my life, this has been a huge blessing because she helps me pay attention pay attention to what I'm feeling and that makes me a healthier person and God has that gift God empathizes with you God has sympathy with you God knows what you're feeling when you suffer when you are in pain when you're in anguish God feels it with you and then if you uh, look in verse 5, David recalls, he thinks about all the blessings that have come his way in life. He says, who satis he's talking to himself again, who satisfies your desires with good things. And so, you know, David's had his share of trouble and problems and failures, but right now he's focusing on the blessings. This is his way of saying, you know, God has been so good to me. And then there's the last part of verse 5. It says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now there's another puzzling metaphor, isn't it? What is he talking about there? Now, my sense is that uh, he's surprised that he feels as young as he does. And I can relate to that because in my own mind, I'm half my age, right? <laughs> I mean, just mentally, that's what I, yeah, I'm, I'm the same person I was uh, that many years ago. And you know what it's like also when you're sick? and you're, you're weak, but then you get better, and you recover, and all of a sudden, you feel good, and you got more energy, and you feel 10 years younger, right? And that's, I think that's what he's talking about. He's just kind of like, okay, I am flying now, like an eagle. 
And in verse 6 is kind of a transition where all the people join in with singing along with David and they're thinking, is the Lord evil? They say, no, the Lord works righteousness. Does the Lord forget about those who are oppressed? No, the Lord works justice for all the oppressed. Now, I'm not going to go through all the verses in this whole psalm, but uh, starting with verse 9 through 12, uh, they sing about how compassionate God is and how God shows that in his mercy toward us sinners. Is God good at forgiving? Verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. When God forgives you, your sins are infinitely removed. Right? Isn't that what it's saying? As far as the east is from the west, your sins are infinitely removed. The sins of the past, God will no longer blame you for. They will never come back to haunt you in his judgment because he has removed them infinitely. Jesus, Jesus showed us that God is that way. He showed us the compassion of God. And I want to take a little mi few minutes here to show you a video of a, of a scene from the life of Jesus. Let's watch. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. And when you find this treasure, this woman, caught in the very act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. What do you say, teacher? They're beating him. It's a trap. I was told you preach according to the law of Moses. Do you have an answer, Nazarene? Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to cast their stone. my lord neither do I go your way 
And from now on, do not sin again. I really like I really like the way that was depicted, that scene. You know, one thing I, I think about it is that in some ways, I mean, Jesus isn't soft on sin. I mean, he's not saying that, yeah, what you did was okay. He, he's not saying that, you know, yeah, whatever consenting relationship you want to be in, just, you know, doesn't matter. He says, from now on, do not sin again. But, but here's the big thing that I get from this. Jesus isn't focused on the sin, is he? He's focused on the person. He's focused on her as a person. And he says, neither do I condemn you. To me, this is, this is a, a, a demonstration of the compassion of God. Now, uh, I want you, if you still have your Bible open, let's look at verse 13. Uh, I believe that David here is drawing upon his, his own experience with his father, Jesse. We know that not all fathers are this way. But all fathers need to be this way. He says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So a good father is a compassionate father. Like the father and the prodigal son in Jesus' story, the, God is always ready to take us back. Did you notice in the video... Uh, when the woman was there and they accused him and he, he, Jesus bent down and he started writing with his finger in the dust. And that's another kind of puzzling thing in the Bible because it says that Jesus wrote with his finger there, but it doesn't say what he wrote. And so we've always wondered in, in what he did and some people have speculated maybe he was writing the Ten Commandments so that, you know, right after that he tells them, you know, whoever is without sin be the first one to cast a stone and so maybe if they saw the Ten Commandments there, it would help them remember that, you know, they're not perfect. And, uh, or um, another thing is that uh, he, he might have been kind of just reminding them of creation, that, that God created us from the dust. And that's what David does in verse 14. He goes back to creation to, to, to describe our human weakness. He says, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. It's the compassion of God. And I'm going to put the statement on the screen. And Would you read the, the words in yellow with me? God feels what we feel. He understands our weakness. He is eager to show mercy. And because God is good, God is worthy of our praise. You know, we wouldn't praise God just because he's powerful, right? Because being strong, being powerful in itself is not praiseworthy. But this psalm is all about that God is good and, and worthy of our praise. So we're going to end today's message with... Uh, uh, the last three verses of the psalm, I'm going to have us all read it together. And it, at first it calls us to, to tell the angels to praise the Lord. Sometimes they're called the heavenly host. And then we're going to call all of God's creation to praise the Lord. 
And once all of that's going in heaven and earth, everybody's praising the Lord, we join in. We tell ourselves, oh, my soul, praise the Lord. So stand if you're able. And uh, you can read it right from the book or also I'm going to have it up on the screen. You ready? Let's go. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we do praise you because you are good. There are times when we've, we've been mad at you or we've thought you were cruel, times when we've uh, suspected that you were punishing us for something we've done. And Lord, help us to, to see what David saw in the Psalms, that you are good. And that you are a God of compassion. You feel what we feel. And you show mercy to us in our sins. You remember that we are weak. And you don't give up on us. Thank you, Lord. We want to be the kind of people who believe in your goodness and who are ready to let the world know that the good news begins with this, that you are good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.